Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, again, welcome to Faith. Again, we are just thrilled to have you with us, whether you're sitting here in the room with us today, uh, whether you're joining with us online. Uh, We are in the midst of a series that we have entitled Finding Happiness. And uh, in this series, we've been wrestling with a a pretty simple question, and the question is is this. All right, I'll tell you. There we go. All right. Um, Why is it so many people want to be happy, and yet... So few people truly are. Why is it that you know so many people in your life who want to be happy? And why is it that you know so few people who truly are? And we've been arguing throughout this, this series that the reason for this is because it's so often people look for happiness in the wrong places. See, it doesn't matter how hard, how long I look for something. If I'm looking in the wrong place, I am not going to find it. Um, And oftentimes, our culture will encourage us to look for happiness in our circumstances, in things like our finances and and what kind of stuff we own and how we look and who we're in a relationship with, where we work, what kind of education we have. And, And the problem with that is those things don't provide lasting happiness, And so what we've been doing in this series is each week we're looking to a different place that the Bible points us to, to a a different internal practice that can provide a lasting sense of gladness or joy or happiness. And so this week we're going to look at one more, and uh, we've got a few more in the next couple weeks to come. But before we jump into things for today, we want to take a minute and pray. And as we pray today, I'm going to kind of hit things on both ends of the spectrum with some folks in our church family. Uh, You may or may not be aware, Margaret Smock, one of uh, our older congregants, uh, went and visited her at St. Mary's yesterday. She's been made hospice care, um, and they're doing everything they can to keep Margaret uh, comfortable until she goes home to be with Jesus. And so we want to pray for Margaret and for her family. On the other end of the scale, our worship leader, Kat, um, had her baby uh, this week. Yep. Um, You can clap. That's right. I kept encouraging her to name the baby Michelle, and she didn't do it, all right? So uh, little Camille is here, and so we want to be praying for her and for Kat and John, because uh, they have gone from a man-to-man defense now to zone, uh, as the kids outnumber the parents there in that home. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump into things for today. Father, we just want to lift up Margaret to you, and Father, we just want to pray for your hand of mercy on her. Just pray that she would be kept free from pain, that she would continue to be at peace until she goes home to be with you. Father, we pray for your hand of comfort on her family and for the time they have left together, that that would be good. Father, we just thank you and we just celebrate uh, the birth of this child and we just pray you would bless John and Kat as they continue to parent in their home. Help them to adjust to one more kid. And Father, we just pray for this little girl, that you would protect her, that she would be strong, that she would be healthy. As we look at this next internal practice, Jesus, I just pray that you would meet us, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So throughout this series, we have been using a number of resources. One of them is a book by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called The Law of Happiness. And in his book, uh, in one of the chapters, Henry describes two women 
that he knows. Uh, a, a lady named Rachel and a lady named Susan. And he talks about how on one hand, uh, these two women had such similar upbringings, like you, you'd think they were sisters. They have so much in common with what their childhoods were like. And then on the other hand, they're incredibly different. The, these two women who have never met each other had, have had almost identical upbringings, and yet as adults, they have become just radically different women. Now, their upbringings, unfortunately, were tragic. The homes they grew up in were full of abuse and neglect and, and hardship. And yet, while they both grew up in this, these two women have gone in very different directions. And when you see their very different lives with their similar upbringings, it makes you wonder, like, what happened? What is, what is the difference between a Rachel and a Susan? So, Claude writes about this, and he writes about their differences. He says this. He says, Rachel is difficult to get close to. She's suspicious, has a, a bit of a cynicism about her that although it's somewhat funny, it sometimes gets in the way of her ability to relate. Susan is emotionally and relationally open. If you're a trustworthy person, she's available to connect with. When you're with her, you sense that she's present. Rachel has an edge, and working with her people can sometimes find her to be abrasive. Susan's no pushover, she's clear, she's direct, but she's easy to work with. Rachel has all kinds of conflict in her relationships, especially when she feels slighted in any way. Susan has long-standing friends and good relationships with most of them. Rachel clearly has issues with men. She's quick to find fault with them, and although she desires a relationship with a man, She's in her 40s. She's never been married. She always finds something critically wrong with every man she dates. Susan enjoys her relationships with men. She has good friends who are male, and she has a husband who's loving and honest, and they've been married for better than 20 years. Rachel is obsessed with justice. By that, I mean anytime anything goes wrong in any setting, formal or informal, she is relentless about getting the bad guy and making them pay. Susan pursues justice, and I've seen her go out of her way and even endure pain for the sake of others who have been mistreated or hurt. But you never get the impression she's waging some kind of vendetta. Rachel is estranged from her father and has a strange, a strange relationship with her mother. Susan enjoys a positive relationship with her aging parents and tries to take good care of them. Both women are smart and talented. Overall, I like Susan a lot, and I enjoy being around her. Rachel, I can take in doses. Usually a few times a year is more than enough. And although we're both gifted, Susan's life has worked out a lot better than Rachel's. Susan is overall a happy person. Most people I know would say that Rachel is not. Now, have you ever had or do you have a Rachel in your life? Have you ever had or do you have a Susan in your life? And if you're just honest with yourself, and I won't make you tell your neighbor, are you more of a Rachel 
or are you more of a Susan? Now again, the question that comes up when you see these two women is, okay, if they had these incredibly similar upbringings, what made the difference? And in his book, Cloud writes this. He says the difference is really very simple. Susan forgave and Rachel did not. Susan forgave and Rachel did not. Today, the internal practice we want to talk about is forgiveness. The Apostle Paul, he writes about forgiveness and he says this. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I would contend that one of the reasons Paul is writing this is because Paul understands the difference between a life characterized by things like this and a life characterized by things like that is a person's willingness to choose to forgive. Oftentimes, the difference between a life that you would go, this is a happy life, and this is an unhappy life, is a willingness to choose to forgive. Now, we've been saying this throughout the series. I find it fascinating every time I come across it. But what the Bible tells us thousands of years ago, modern research comes along and says to us today, you would not believe what we discovered. And the connection between forgiveness and happiness is one of those things. So, for example, Duke University conducted this study where they identified eight factors in a person's life that promote emotional stability. Four of the eight factors, half of them related to forgiveness. Things like avoiding suspicion and resentment, not living in the past, not wasting time and energy fighting over conditions that you can't change, refusing to indulge in self-pity even when you were handed a raw deal. Half of their factors that lead to emotional stability had to do with forgiveness. Or there was another article, it was entitled, Granting Forgiveness or Harboring Grudges. Researchers had two groups of people, or excuse me, one group of people that they subjected to two different exercises. They said to the group, okay, here's exercise number one, you can do this in a room today if you want to. It's kind of weird if you don't want to, you don't have to. But they're like, listen, we want you to close your eyes and think deeply about somebody who's wronged you in a significant way. After they had folks think about those folks for a significant period of time, they noticed they had sweaty palms, facial, you know, the, 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 the muscles in their face got all tense. Their heart rate actually went up. Their blood pressure actually increased. And then the researcher said, okay, here's what I want you to do next. I want you to imagine, just imagine the possibility of forgiveness with that person. Every one of those indicators went down. See, research is teaching us what Scripture wrote long ago. Health and happiness happen when forgiveness begins to flow. And so understanding the connection between the levels of joy or gladness or happiness that we experience in life and our willingness to forgive. Again, Paul writes to us, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
Now, if research is on to something, if inspired by the Spirit of God, Paul is correct that there's a connection between our happiness and forgiveness, then it's probably important for us to understand correctly what is forgiveness? I'm telling you, there is all kinds of confusion in our culture today about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. So with the lion's share of our time, we're just going to talk about this is what forgiveness is and this is what it isn't. Now, forgiveness is a super heavy topic. For some of you in the room today, I said forgiveness and you started panicking because you're struggling with this because of some of the junk you've gone through recently. I get that. So, that, so, so, so in, in an effort to keep today from getting too emotionally heavy, we're going to set up an illustration that we're going to use to talk about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. And I'll just tell you right now, illustration is a true story. This happened to people, but it's funny, all right? And you can laugh at it and you can joke about it and you can tell me about the things that you did after church that were similar to it. Um, but here's the deal. The principles that we're going to talk about and derive out of a silly story, they will be applicable to your story whether your story's silly or whether your story's incredibly heavy. So here's the illustration. A few years back on a road trip with some buddies, we're coming back from Tennessee and um, we stopped to gas up the cars, use the bathroom, get snacks, which never makes sense to me to get snacks when you stop because if you get snacks when you stop, you're gonna have to stop all the sooner because people are gonna need to go to the bathroom again, but whatever. So we stop. I'm the first guy, somehow I'm the first guy to manage to get into the bathroom. And um, it's one of these single-serve kind of deals. You know, you've got like one sink, one toilet, that's it. And um, uh, take care of business, I'm washing my hands. And, and I just, I don't know, I'm just kind of paying attention to what's going on around me. And I'm like, this is a small little room. It's four cinder block walls, one door, no windows. And I think, you know, if the lights weren't on in this room, it would be really dark. I don't know why I thought that. It's like an amusement park in here. It's just what I thought. And so, so as I finish washing my hands and I click off the lights and it is like pitch black in there. You cannot see your hand in front of your face kind of black. And so I fumble around. I find the door handle. I open the door and there's a line of my buddies waiting to use the bathroom. And in a moment that was really very uncharacteristic for me, I... Um, I said to my friend Mark, who's at the front of the line, I say to him, dude, I don't know what the deal is, but the lights in here don't work, all right? So out of character, right? And so, so Mark comes in. He doesn't even check the switch. Doesn't even try. Just lets the door be kind. You'll close behind him. You hear him scraping against the wall, banging into the sink. He's over in the corner trying to take care of business. Who knows what kind of mess was made over there, right? You, you, you hear him using the sink in the pitch black, scraping against the wall again, fumbling to find the door handle, finally opens the door, looks disheveled, looks mildly traumatized, right? And I'm just standing there smiling. And I reach in, click on the lights, and walk away. All right. Now, there's our illustration, all fun and games, all right? Now, in, in this illustration, you could make the argument that I did something wrong, all right? Technically, I deceived Mark, right? Technically, I, I left him to wander around in a, in a dark room to try and use the bathroom, right? Technically, I shouldn't have done that to him, but whatever, right? If you go on a road trip with guys, this is just the kind of thing that guys do. Amen, guys? 
Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's this, this is the way that men communicate affection, all right? And so amongst one another, it doesn't translate with their wives. I don't understand what the problem is. So, um, but in this instance, let's talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And then you can apply it to whatever situation you're wrestling with, whether it's silly like that or it's way, way heavier. So, biblically speaking, forgiveness is about release. Biblically speaking, forgiveness is about releasing someone from a debt. See, when, when someone does something wrong to us, like when I left Mark to fumble around in the dark there, you know, to, to make a mess of himself, to, you know, to, to try and take care of business with no lights on, you could say, I owed Mark certain things. I'm indebted to him. I owed him the truth. I owed him an apology. Depending on how bad things got in there, maybe I even owed him a new pair of tennis shoes. I don't know, all right? All right? But I owed him some things. With forgiveness, he releases me of what I owe him. It's, you know, it's, it's like going to the bank. You go to the bank, if they forgive you of a loan, they, they, they wipe the, the thing away. The ledger's brought down to zero. Justice demands that when something wrong is done, the, the, the person who's been wronged, they are owed something. That's why we say things like, you owe me an apology, right? But justice also demands that, that there's retribution. The person who's done the wrong needs to pay for this. But again, with forgiveness, if Mark's going to forgive me, Mark is going to release me of what it is that he thinks I owe him, and he's going to release his right to pay me back. He's going to let those things go. Biblically speaking, this is what forgiveness is. It's all about release. You've done something wrong to me. I'm going to let go of what you owe me. I'm going to let go of what I say I've got the right to do back to you. Now, if this is what forgiveness is, here's the other thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online, we can choose to forgive. We can choose to let go of what it is that we're owed. We can choose to let go of our right to retribution. In fact, I would contend when you hear somebody say, well, I just can't forgive that person of what they did to me. It's not that they cannot let go. It's that they're, they're confusing what forgiveness is with what it isn't. Because there are a host of other things that live in incredibly close proximity to forgiveness. And they're important things in our lives. But they're not the same as forgiveness. And oftentimes when we're saying, I can't forgive them, what we're doing is we are confusing what forgiveness is with what it isn't. So forgiveness is release. Forgiveness is a choice. Now, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not to excuse or ignore an offense. To forgive me, Mark isn't going to you know, pretend that I didn't just send him into some pitch black room for my amusement. He's not, he's not going to ignore 
The, the, I mean, listen, guys have enough trouble with the aim when the lights are on, right? I mean, he's not going to ignore that I just sent him in there to you know, try and use the bathroom with no lights. The, forgiveness is just the opposite. In order to release you of what you owe me, to release my right to retribution, I first have to acknowledge that wrong has been done. When you forgive someone, you're not being asked to ignore or, or, or excuse what they did. Not only so, but forgiveness, forgiveness is not a positive emotional state. This is so important. We, so often we get tripped up here. So often we get tripped up here. Forgiveness and our emotions, they live in incredibly close proximity to one another, but they're distinct from one another. So when, when, when someone does something legitimately wrong to us, right, and we sense that, we know it, we can have all of these emotions that come flooding into our, our hearts and our minds. Things like anger and betrayal and resentment and bitterness and embarrassment and malice and, and more. And we know. We're like, okay, th these feelings are not good for me. These feelings are not good for my relationship with that person or my relationship with anybody else for that matter. The, these kind of feelings, they will rob me of happiness. The, these kind of feelings... If I'm paying attention to my New Testament, it tells me to rid myself of these feelings. And yet, while all of these feelings, while they live in very close proximity to forgiveness, they are distinct from it. You, 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 you can see this in how the scriptures talk about forgiveness and how they talk about emotions, how the, just how they work in our lives. For example, we're told we are commanded regularly, multiple times. Jesus, the writers of the New Testament, they regularly command us to forgive another person. Because they, the, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament understand you can choose to release a person. You don't see that same language used with emotions. Because you can't choose your emotions. You can't control what it is that you feel. You can control how you respond to what you feel, but you don't get to pick what you feel. Like if, if, I could just, if I could teach you to just not feel angry, if I could teach you to just not feel depressed, if I could teach you to just not feel anxious, I would be wildly wealthy and successful beyond my dreams because people are desperate for that. The, to forgive is to choose to release someone. The New Testament says rid yourselves of those kind of emotions. That is a process that takes place over time as God works in our lives. It's incredibly important. It lives so close to forgiveness, but it's different. And here's the incredibly good news about that. Let's say, let's say Mark did not have the, the, the well-developed sense of humor that I had, all right? He did. He did. He had a superior sense of humor like my own. In fact, you know, when we got done, Mark wasn't upset. Like, like most of the guys here in the room, as I'm walking away, I watched Mark try and figure out how he was going to do this to the next guy in line. It's just what men do, all right? But let's say he, he was offended or, you know, he felt betrayed or his or, you know, feelings were hurt because he was embarrassed. Mark... He can forgive even before he's worked through the emotions. Mark is capable of experiencing forgiveness 
and the benefits that come with forgiveness, even before he's finished working through the emotions that live in close proximity to forgiveness. That's good news. For some of you, that's going to set you free because you can choose right now to let go of, of what they owe you. You can choose right now to let go of your right to retribution. Working through those emotions, that's going to be a process that takes place over time. And that's okay because forgiveness isn't necessarily a positive emotional state. Or forgiveness... Forgiveness is not the same things. It's not the same thing as reconciliation. With reconciliation, the person who's committed a wrong owns that wrong. With reconciliation, I come to Mark and I say, "Okay, this is what I did that was wrong, and I shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry." Now, reconciliation that requires two people. Mark, Mark can't do that on his own. Like if I'm like I'm not, I'm not admitting there was nothing wrong with that. Or, or uh, yeah, I know there's something wrong with that, but I'm, not, I'm too proud to admit that. He, he needs me in order for there to be reconciliation. But again, while reconciliation lives close to forgiveness, it is distinct from it. Mark, can, he can still, again, he can still experience the benefits of forgiveness even before we're reconciled. He is not held hostage to me when it comes to forgiveness, because I'm refusing to be reconciled with him. He, he's not held hostage to me coming and owning what I did and apologizing for it. He can still choose to release me even before I grow up and take care of business. And then finally, forgiveness is not trust. Mark, Mark can release me. Mark can, he and I can be reconciled if I come and apologize. I own what I did. But if Mark is wise, he is going to think twice before he trusts me again. When I tell him the lights in a room don't work, right? Here's why. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is freely given. I release you what you owe me. Freely. I release my right to retribution. Freely. Trust is something that wise people make sure is earned. You, you, can, you can let somebody go. That doesn't mean you should trust them. They can come and apologize and you can be reconciled. That doesn't mean you should trust them. You trust a person when they demonstrate with their behavior over time they are worthy of your trust. So again, Paul, Paul says to us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is about release. There's certain things that forgiveness is and certain things that forgiveness is not. And, and understanding this, again, on one hand, when there's forgiveness. Happiness and health are there when forgiveness begins to flow. But just the opposite is true. Like if somebody does something genuinely wrong to me, I'm like, I'm not forgiving them. I'm, I'm, I am not going to release them of what they owe me. I am not releasing my right to retribution. That will destroy my happiness. 
See, when I, when I refuse to forgive, when I refuse to let go of what that person owes me, essentially what I've done is I've, I've stuck myself. I am stuck in this spot until that person gives me what it is I say they owe me. But because I can't control them, I am now enslaved to the very person who I say is responsible for my pain. Or if I'm like, you know what, no, I have a right to do this to that person. I have a right to retribution. Do you know what, you know what getting even does? It just makes us even. When you do something lousy to me and I stoop down to your level and do something lousy back to you, I just became like you. All getting even does is make me even. Listen, enslavement, becoming like the person who we don't respect, there's no, there's no happiness to be found in that. Forgiveness sets us free. There is happiness to be found in freedom. And here's the thing. Freedom is an incredibly, forgiveness and the freedom that comes with it, it is an incredibly spiritual experience. Again, Paul Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, when it comes to my life and the things that I've done wrong and interacting with God, I've got two options, justice or grace. I can stand before God, who is aware of every wrong I've ever committed in my life, and I can pay for that myself for all of eternity. That's justice. Or I can have grace. Someone else can pay for that for me. Now, who would do that? Who would pay a debt that wasn't his? Who would, who would die and lay down his life so that I could be forgiven and brought into God's family and made, made, been made new? I know somebody like that. His name is Jesus. And he's the best friend you will ever have. But here's the thing. When I come to God and I say, I want forgiveness. Because I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'll take grace over justice every day of the week. But when I come to God saying, hey, give me grace, give me forgiveness, God says, okay, now your job is to forgive others, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, God God isn't interested in my hypocrisy. God isn't interested in me coming and going, hey, give me, give me forgiveness, give me forgiveness, give me forgiveness. And then while I interact with you, I'm like, let me dole out judgment, let me dole out judgment, let me dole out judgment. God is not going to bless my hypocrisy with happiness. But just the opposite is true. If, if I will imitate my Father in heaven, if I will forgive like he forgave, there's something about living into the design that God has for us. Letting who we are in our actions towards others reflect who God has been to us. There is a joy, a gladness, a happiness that is found there that simply can't be found anywhere else.
health and happiness flow when forgiveness flows. Health and happiness happen when we happen to be the kind of people who choose to forgive. So, as we wrap this up, what we want to do is just think through, okay, how, how do I forgive? Like, what are the practical things I can do to make that decision to release? And I just quickly want to give you four. So here we go. Number one, identify the wrong. Identify the wrong. You feel like somebody's done something wrong. You, you all wound up on the inside. Take time to specifically identify what they did that was wrong. For me, it's super helpful to me to write it out. Right? And th this helps in a couple of ways. Sometimes th there's all these things going on emotionally beneath the surface, and I, and I take the time to write that thing out, and then I look at it, and I'm like, okay, I get it. That makes sense. That's why I'm all wound up. Other times, though, it's a very de-escalating kind of exercise. I'll, I'll write out what it is that I you know, think what was you know, done wrong to me, and I'll go, okay, yeah, that's not okay, but that is nowhere near as big a deal as it felt like emotionally, I need to calm down here. So number one, identify the wrong. Number two, identify, identify what you're releasing. Again, specifically figure out, again, I, I would encourage you to write it out, specifically write out what is it that they owe me that I'm going to let go of? What is it that I have the right to do to them that the retribution says I get to do? Write it all out. And again, this, for me, this can be very clarifying. Sometimes I will do this and I'll be like, okay, that makes sense. I understand why I'm so wound up. Again, other times I'll do this and I'll, I'll write out, okay, this is what this person owes me. And I look at it and I'm like, well, that's just silly. That's really not that much. I'm all wound up about this emotionally. That's an easy thing to let go of. Or I'll write out what it is that I think I have the right to do to them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is that ugly. I don't want to be that kind of person. I'm going to let this thing go. So identify the wrong, identify what you're releasing, and then here's where the rubber meets the road. Choose to release them. Again, I, I can't make this person be reconciled. I, I can't make them behave in a way that's worthy of trust. I can't choose what I'm going to feel, but I can choose to let them go. I can choose to let go of what I'm owed. I can choose to let go of my right to retribution. Choose it. And what you choose today, you may need to choose again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's okay. Keep choosing it. And then finally, number four, pray for your offender. Pray for them. Jesus put it this way. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, now, when we're praying here, the idea is not, Father, please strike them. Just smite them. Just lightning. You know, like, you, you need some suggestions. I wrote some down in my journal. I'm happy to share, right? That's not the spirit of this. The spirit of this is, pray that God would bless that person. Pray that God would be good to them. Pray that God would help them in the specific area of life where they've wronged you. Like they took, care, they took advantage of you financially, pray that God would bless their finances. They blew the relationship up, pray that God would bless their next relationship. 
praying for your enemy over time. This is not easy. This is, just, this is so counterintuitive. But you want to deal with those negative emotions over time. This can help you rid yourself of them. You want to replace them with something positive over time. This will help you do that. See, our Father in heaven, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Your Father in heaven, he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. And again, when you live in a way that reflects through who you are, who your Father in heaven is, there's happiness. There is joy. There is gladness to be found there that you can't find anywhere else. So why is it so many people want to be happy and so few truly are? Maybe it's because we're looking in the wrong place. What if happiness could be found in release? And what if one of the reasons happiness is escaping you is because when I said, hey, you know, you, you can participate in this exercise or not, you know, who's this person who's wronged you in a significant way? For some of you, that person immediately came to mind. And you've been refusing to let them go. So we're going to pray. And if you've got someone you need to let go of, I want to invite you to pray and commit to God to doing just that. And we're going to pray. And if you're here today, if you're watching online, and you've never said yes to God's grace and forgiveness, you've been walking the road to justice, and today you're ready to walk the road of grace, I would invite you to pray with me and to do that. So let's pray together. Father, for some of us today, there's someone in our life who we need to let go of. We've been robbing ourselves of the gift of happiness as we're enslaved, as we're stuck, as we're worried about getting even. God, we've had enough. It's just in the quietness of our heart, we just want to name that person to you. Right here now, we want to choose to let go. God, we just pray for grace to continue in that decision in the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come. Father, for some of us, we've been walking the road to justice. Maybe we didn't even realize it until today. But we want to walk the road of grace. We want to be reconciled in our relationship with you. And so we just come and we, we just admit we're wrong. We sinned. We can't fix this ourselves. But you sent Jesus to live the life we should have lived, to die in our place. You rose him from the dead to prove that it was true. And so today we want to put our faith and our hope in him. We want to surrender all of who we are to following him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.